Like notes through the hourglass, these are the songs of our lives. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Songs of Our Lives. I am Brad Rose. I am a musician, a composer, a writer, the founder of Foxy Digitalis, and somebody who thinks about and obsesses about sound far more than is healthy. Each week, I invite on a guest, someone who I maybe know or am interested in or respect or just think is cool or I don't know, oftentimes they're musicians, but not always. Um, This week, my guest is... Pastry chef, writer, activist, awesome all-around person, Natasha Pickowicz. So one of the things that when I when I started this podcast that I was really wanting to do, and I've been wanting to do for a while with Foxy D is find ways to get like non-musician people onto the site and into the site. Like you know, because I, I know so many people who do so many other things but are also obsessed with music. And a lot of those people are never going to talk about music. Like, you know, we do in conversation and stuff and it's great, but they have this like really like deep, passionate relationship with it. And I wanted to, I wanted this to become a platform for people who don't get to talk about music a lot, but who love music and know a lot about music and are just into it to get to talk about it. And so, um, Natasha was, like one of the first people I thought of when I, you know, when I had that idea, I was like, Oh my God, Natasha would be so good for this. And so, so excited. It finally happened. Uh, Natasha just released. Well, not just, I guess it was earlier this year, but it's still new. Um, Released our first cookbook more than cake, which is an absolute delight. Um, Just, I don't know. We talk about this quite a bit in the intro or the first section of the episode. So I'm not going to get into it here, but I told her she's kind of the become the Monty Don of baking for me. And Monty Don is kind of a hero, personal hero of mine in a way really got me interested in gardening in a way that I never had. And, and just thinking about it in a way that made sense to me and really resonated with me. And Natasha has done that for baking. And I think it's amazing. Um, yeah. So, and, and again, we also talk about this, but Natasha and I know each other because a hundred thousand years ago in a past life, she did some interviews and did some writing for Foxy Digitalis. So, um, we, we lost touch and then got in touch a couple of years ago again, when I wanted to republish her Paul Clipson interview, which is so good. I'll put it a link in the show notes. Um, and yeah, I'm just, she's like, just, I don't know. She's awesome. So I'm really, really excited to do this. Uh, it's, you know, we're getting into the holiday season. If you, if you like to bake, you absolutely need to get her book. If you don't like to bake, but are maybe curious, I would check out her book. Now it's not intro level, but I'm not intro level. So it can't, you know, I, the, the first thing that I made in there, my daughter and I made her chocolate chip cookies. And one of the things to do is make brown butter. We never made brown butter. And it was this you know, you just kind of have to get in the moment and enjoy the process in the moment and being there and do, it's just, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And, um, yeah, 
So I would highly recommend checking. If you're into baking, then you really, really need this. Um, you know, just, yeah, it's a great gift too for those who in your life may be into baking. So anyway, <laughs> uh, we recorded this on zoom a couple weeks ago when she was out in California and it was, it was so much fun. I think this is actually the longest episode ever so far, which is really cool. And yeah, I hope y'all enjoy this as much as I did. Uh, my guest today is a pastry chef, a writer, an activist, and arguably the most well-known Foxy Digitalis alum, um, at least outside of the music world. Uh, it is Natasha Pickwicks. Hey! Happy to be welcome, here. Welcome, welcome. Yeah. So I figured maybe the first thing that we should talk about is because I'm sure there are people sort of from your world and then people from my world listening to this going like, what in the world? <laughs> like, <laughs> so like... For everybody who has no idea, you wrote you did, wrote a few things for Foxy Digital like 10, 12 years ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. <laughs> yeah, it but. was a minute. And I don't even remember how we first met because it was when you were in Montreal, if I remember. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, at the time I was I was, you know, really trying to pursue kind of music journalism, like writing about music. Like I was like promoting a lot of shows. I was like obsessed mm -hmm. with like kind of like more experimental underground music. And I was just trying to get like published and just also get tons of experience writing. So back then, like there were some amazing websites and blogs like Foxy that, you know, gave me a chance to kind of like oh. practice and listening to albums and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of stuff going on in Montreal at that time, too. I remember I felt very connected to that whole scene. And there was like a two year period where I feel like, I don't know, it was like every other week I was getting something from. It was like a group of like 10 people, but they did like. Totally. And now it's like when I go back, it's it's you kind of really see how much underground music scenes are. Kind of can exist through spaces through physical spaces and i think like right like all the all the diy like practice spaces and and music venues that were like points of gathering and community like a, a lot of those places in montreal don't exist anymore so the scene mm. to me like i feel alienated from it but i think it's also more like dislocated too because yeah. you don't have you don't have those kind of like you know those spaces that exist for everybody right yeah that's as Tulsa has actually may has some of those spaces now it's you see just the direct effect that has on just what's going on and the connectedness of it all um, yeah which wasn't like that back then for me I mean it was I was on an island in Tulsa so um <laughs> but I mean like Montreal was really the place where I was kind of first connected the dots between you know music and food and at, at the time, the good my good friend Blake Hargraves, who's a musician, he had this music festival, he still does, called Cool Fest. And for like yeah. two years in a row, I cooked all the food for that festival. And I'd had lots of experience. Like every time I would book a show and, and a band would come through, I would make them food because I felt like it was so important if you were on tour and, you know, that you were eating something like nourishing and good and from scratch and mm -hmm. not just like, you know, junk. And so I got to kind of continue to like 
dive into that idea, like through this festival and feeding yeah. people like cooking food right in the music ven venue and feeding not just <laughs> bands, but also like the guests and stuff like that. And it was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. I remember hearing about that from people I knew who played up there and like seeing pictures and it was amazing. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, and so it's so then. Yeah. So we lost touch ever like, every, you know, things do. And then got back in touch a couple years ago because I wanted to reprint your Paul Clipson interview. Yeah. Um, which is was one of the things I think that Foxy, my favorite things that Foxy ever published in that period. It's so good. And especially the sort of importance of it now that Paul's not with us. Um, but yeah, when it, like, I was like, I wonder where Natasha even is. And then like, I was like, holy crap. Okay. Yeah. You've got all this cool stuff going on. <laughs> um, and, but so you've got a new book out. New cook, new ish. I don't know when it exactly came out. Six months ago, um, yeah, it came out April eleventh. Oh my god, um, oh my god. Mm -hmm. a lifetime ago. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but now that you know we're we're chatting now in November, and like now that it's been out for half a year, but I'm still kind of promoting and hustling around the book because like sure. because it is a baking book. You know, people are baking and thinking about you know in the cool weather, and they're gifting books for right. the holidays and. You know, a lot of people aren't are like, I don't turn my oven on in the summer. I mean, I'm not like that, but I understand that a lot of people wait until it gets cooler before yeah. they're like, you know, creating cozy things like cookies and pies and stuff. Right. So, um, yeah, I kind of feel like I'm I'm still on that like promoting train, and I might never get off. So, yeah, yeah that makes well, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so one of the things that like so spoke to me, and it's like it's, it says it on the cover, is recipes built for pleasure and community. And something I think about all, all the time, and I think about this in regards especially to sound and music, is ideas like pleasure and joy and whimsy. Because I feel like those ideas right now feel very, they feel kind of subversive in the scope of our current world. And so it's like, I don't know. But I, can, I really connected with that aspect of this of, yeah. Yeah, I so, mean, I I, th I think people have really like complicated relationships with food, with dessert, with sweets and, you know, outside of like the act of, of, of making it and the kind of like skill and, and patience it takes to execute some of the recipes, but also this idea of like the pleasure that we can derive from enjoying something in that moment, from mm -hmm. being with other people and sharing these, this thing with them. And, you know, it's not just food isn't to me eating isn't just like calories in calories out it's like something to savor and appreciate and be grateful for and enjoy and yeah I think there's that's why I'm in pastry and specifically and not yeah. just like as a savory chef is is because like I, I relate to those feelings like so strongly yeah no I well so I'm I don't I, I cook a lot but I don't bake like I'm not a baker or I don't I, like I cook dinner every night for uh, my partner and my kid, but this, so do you know who Monty Don is? No. Okay. So Monty Don, he's this British master gardener. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> and he, he's had a number of shows like on the BBC and stuff. I think a lot of people in the States know him for this one. This is where I first started. It was like big dreams, small spaces or something like that. Mm -hmm. And anyway, he, I it was 2020 like everybody else we we started watching this show on Netflix and he had like his approach to gardening 
kind of made me fall in love with gardening in a way I never had. And it was, it was very, he was always, it was this really, it was just like, you're going to try some things. Some things aren't going to work. Some will. That's fine. Like, don't sweat it. Just, and, and I just, and he, and he's also talked about like the, like the mental health aspects of gardening and especially, I mean, you know, having your hands in dirt where you're, there's nutrients and all these things. Like he, he's, he's amazing. A hundred percent. I mean, like, I really identify with that approach, obviously, and and not for nothing. Like I got into gardening a couple of years ago for exactly those reasons. Is yeah. it's sort of like the, there's like a sense of wonderment and kind of like mystical awe around watching things grow, yes. but I think also just the the being in the practice or the ritual of you know being on your feet, handling things with your hands. Like there's something very like tactile and and kind of like life affirming and meditative around those kinds of practices. And mm-hmm. that's really what I wanted to communicate with readers in my book, which which is this idea of like, baking for me is not about a rush to the finish line to get the cookie in your mouth. Like it's not a book of, of hacks or, you know, one ingredient cookies or, which are, which is all the rage right now. And that's very in mm-hmm. vogue, but I think I I kind of had a more like old school approach about it, which is this idea of like the act of rolling out dough or slicing fruit or stirring a pot of jam. Like those are inherently pleasurable activities that yes. like that don't stress me out or give me anxiety. The things that I enjoy and I want people to sort of examine baking as as a skill or 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 like a hobby. Um, where you improve with repetition and over time. So, you know, like knitting, like gardening, mm-hmm. the like, you know, ceramics, I don't know, like building <laughs> furniture, anything where you're kind of making something with your hand, like a craft, you know, it's not about like, I want this sock in my hand right now. It's about like enjoying the needles and sitting there yes. and zoning out. And like, you're not rushing to get to the end. The act of doing it is why you're doing it. It's not to have the stuff. Um, and the same thing with gardening. Like for me, it's like being in fresh air, feeling the sun on my skin, um, seeing, you know, pollinators buzzing around mm-hmm. me. Like those are incredibly sacred, special feelings that almost have nothing to do with like holding the tomato once it's grown. Right. So I think like if we can sort of approach baking with that mindset, it might help sort of it might help break down those feelings of stress and anxiety and shame and, and, and all that, that we get with baking and, and more importantly, this idea of failure and not having it come out Mm -hmm. perfectly. Like I want to emphasize this idea of like mistakes are great. Like they're opportunities for us to practice and like observe and learn from things. And, and I, and I don't want that to, it shouldn't be like an emotional thing where we're like upset with ourselves right. if something doesn't go right. Because I, I've made every mistake there is. And sometimes it's t- it is totally heartbreaking. But, you know, all of if we're paying attention, then all of those things are just feeding and reinforcing like this greater skill set that we're 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 building and, and moving towards. Uh, well, you're that's totally what I get out of your book. Oh, like, good. <laughs> I, I was I was I was saying to my partner, I was like, Natasha's like my new Monty Don because <laughs> like Monty Don made me fall in love with gardening. That, and a thing I never thought I would. And like your book has because it is the process. Like I was I was telling you before we started, we made my daughter and I made the chocolate chip cookies and and neither. I'd never made brown butter, had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> we hadn't. 
and but it was like okay it, it was this adventure right yes. and it was and it was just so much and then yeah at the end like it worked out and we had these delicious cookies to eat and enjoy and share with everybody um but even if they had turned out terribly it would have still been this kind of wonderful thing and so yes. exactly I'm, it would have been like you spending time with your kid and yeah. it would have been not in front of a screen. It would have been like working in your kitchen, being in a book. Like, yeah, I, 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 that makes me really happy. That's exactly what I was hoping people would get out of it. Well, good. Well, I think you succeed in spades, but um, <laughs> I may be biased. So, um, and so as a segue here, like all of those things too, it's very much how I approach making music um, because it's, some of my favorite things that I've ever made came from mistakes. So it's the process of it is more important than like the end result. Yes. Um, like just doing it. So, but so obviously music, that's, we, that's how we know each other. That's where we first got to know each other and music. I'm assuming is also a very big part of your life still. <laughs> definitely. It's different um, though. It's, 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 it's definitely different. It's definitely changed a lot. Um, you know, like where, and I think that's probably true for anybody, but like, mm -hmm. you know, once I started working in restaurants full time and having early mornings and late nights, like I was going to shows less, I stopped like booking shows. Um, right. So I was less involved. I was like, I don't really feel like I'm a member of any scene right now, but I'm still like a lover of music and, and it's a big part of my life. So. Well, with that said, Let's go like all the way back to the beginning. Cough. And what is the first song that you remember? Okay. So uh, I had to really go back, but um, you know, both of my parents, uh, I kind of tease them about this a lot, but like they're both like aesthetes and intellectuals. Like my mom is an artist. My dad is like a film historian, but like their music and taste is like super normy and <laughs> So I think like when I started getting into like weird stuff, like they were kind of like, whoa. I mean, but they also are like incredibly open-minded people who have gone to shows that I've put on, who mm -hmm. will listen to anything. But I think my dad, like he's born in, you know, he's born in 45. And so like a lot of the music that he grew up and listened to was what I grew up listening to. Cause that's still mm -hmm. like the stuff that he loves. And he, um, I think the first, the first thing that I remember is, is Bob Dylan, but it's, it's a very, it's one album specifically, um, the Highway 61 Revisited. And I just, when you hear that opening notes of like a Rolling Stone, which kick off the album, yeah. like it just, it, 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 it kind of like kicks me back into time of like, you know, these moments where my parents had, they have my dad had some like Dylan records, but you know, this is the nineties. So everything was CDs. Right. Um, but like, I remember I, I can see the jewel case. Like I can like feel it. And, and just like those notes, like the piano, like the way that the song opens reminds me of just like when my parents would put on music and it was never any other Dylan. Like, I know that there was other stuff too, like kind of like all the mainstream hit, you know, but that's, that's the one that like, I really, I could, I just remember being so little and hearing it on road yeah. trips and, and in the house. I have, so our dads are about the same age. My dad was born in 46 
and I have very similar memories. I've talked about this a little bit. My two early, two of my earliest memories are listening on Sunday mornings when my mom and my sister would go to church and like if I was homesick, listening to Dylan records and Beach Boys records with my dad. Yeah. And this is also the song. This is the Dylan song. This was, yeah, like the first Dylan song I remember. And it's that jangly guitar. Like you can't, yeah. it's so distinct and I love it so much. I still love it. I still, anytime that song comes on, I just get these kind of feelings that totally. <laughs> I can't explain. And then, I mean, he's such like a great example of an artist, like that I think everyone, like that you can come into your own personal relationship with later. So it mm -hmm. wasn't until like I was in college or even out of college that I like dove into his discography, like way deeper and kind of found albums that were like specifically like moving for mm -hmm. me, but Highway 61, like that album is what I remember being like five and just, you know, the like Ballad <laughs> yes. of the Thin Man I thought was like so yes. cool and like, you know, kind of cool and creepy and dirgy, you know, like the whole album, mm -hmm. I think like enchanted me as a kid. Yeah, I love that. That's funny. Um, well, there you go. I t totally relate to this. And, and that's always the thing I wonder too when I like am looking at people's songs list song list before I, it's like i'm wondering what goes to what so i wouldn't have guessed this was this but i and mainly because it was like no that's too close to what i would say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um well do you what what is what's the song that makes you cry and do you do you cry a lot <laughs> i love i love sad <laughs> i love i, yeah. I definitely have like a deeply emotional relationship to artists to albums like mm -hmm. Uh, not even like has because it's loaded with a moment that I was in but just of like the way that it makes me feel like I, mm -hmm. I have that's it, it was it it's hard to really narrow it down um <laughs> but I, I like I love I think also like when an artist maybe has like a tragic story this is so cliche right. but like <laughs> when an artist has like a tragic story that like heightens the way that I'm like experiencing the song. Mm -hmm. So like, I have, a, I have, a, can I share like a few examples? Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of people have multiple examples. So I, yeah, we'll talk about both of them and then uh, we'll, I'll pick one that's going to go on the playlist. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, like I, I've always been a really big fan of John Martin, the like British singer songwriter, kind of folk mm -hmm. musician. Um, and he passed and, when he passed, it was like horrible. I was so sad. And I think he had like a lot of health issues later in life. And there's something about like his voice that is like so soulful, but in this like very British way. Um, mm -hmm. And I have like all of his records. He made a lot of music, but um, I have these like memories of when I was first getting into him, like watching all of these like old performances on YouTube from like the seventies mm -hmm. and being able to see him play when he was like young and thin. And like, it's just as like, it's just so moving. And he's just yep. with such a passionate, like emotional present kind of player performer, but he has this like, uh, it's like, a, I think it's like a br traditional British folk song, Spencer the Rover. Mm -hmm. And he's done like studio recordings of it and you can hear it, but if you could, if you just Google it and on YouTube and watch him play it live, like there's such an intensity to mm -hmm. his, like, first of all, as an incredible guitar player, like beautiful, but 
just the way that he performs is like so moving. It's so heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And you can see the effort, like you can see like the sweat beating on his forehead Mm -hmm. and like, you know, you can just, you can feel how quiet the room is. Like there's something like really uh, powerful about that. Um, It's it's such a, yeah. I, one of the things that always, and I love the, you're so right about find a live performance of it because when you hear the recording, like the recording is beautiful, but there's it, there's something about it. There's like a simplicity to it, the way it sounds, because he's so talented that he makes it seem so effortless. But yeah. when you see it and see that, and te- it just takes on this other life, and it, yeah, it's so moving. Yeah, he's the fun. best. And yeah. um, and then I, you know, I was thinking like about how um, Mimi Parker from Low also passed very recently, and I think like it was shocking to me. It was like unexpected. And that's low is like a band that I really kind of grew up with and their relation, you know, her, their relationship, like as mm-hmm. bandmates, but as like a couple and the, the sort of different things that they brought to the band to make low, like uniquely what it was. And I also think that the last couple albums that they made are absolutely incredible. Um, and, really haunting and beautiful and now that you know um now that she's passed like listening to it now is just like really it's just a lot so i think hey what is the one that came out a couple years ago um Mm -hmm. and i think like anytime i hear like a harmony of two different voices and i think alan and Mimi were very famously like harmonizing in this like very haunting way um you know her kind of like higher register and his like lower voice it's just like uh, absolutely incredible so i think the whole album is so beautiful um but i think the song days like these which might have been like i don't know if there's like a single released around the album but it feels like a single um but i think like in the context of of her passing her untimely passing feels really um yeah uh, it's just a lovely song. Yeah. So uh, this is going to be impossible to pick for one, but I have a story. So you ever have like, there's a band that like everybody loves and some, but like in their understandably, but somehow you sort of miss the boat early on. And then they have just like this sort of daunting discography and it just, you can't find an entry point. Yeah. And it sort of passes you by low has been that band for me. That's like the Rolling like, Stones for me, but yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, but so, but the thing, like, yeah, you solved my pro. This song completely like destroyed me. Yeah, like I have probably listened to it about fifty times in the last week. It's, it is, and the whole um, album is like really, really, really cool. Yeah. There's lots of like cool. There's also a beautiful kind of like texture. I think like some of their stuff that feels iconic from the 90s is feels more like rendered through instruments but there's lots Mm -hmm. of like kind of ambient noise and kind of this like texture throughout the album that feels like a little different for them and uh, it's like their lot the album that came out before that double negative has a is is similar too. there's kind of this like industrial texture to everything and it's just like when her voice is so like Uh. and almost kind of like angelic and sort of choir like so the way it kind of sits on top of everything else mm-hmm. it's just amazing 
Yeah, I went. So I listened to the whole out. Like, like I said, I never felt like I could find an entry. People, you know, you'd hear different things from. I don't know. It's it. It just was overwhelming. Yeah. And, but like this solved my problem. Like so now I'm on like this low journey of oh. discovery, and it's pretty incredible. Yes, um, love that. And it started because of this, and yeah, the their harmonies are of there's it's something else. Like there is. Yeah, they're chilling. Yeah, like there's an otherworldly thing happening with the way their voices work together. Hundred um, percent. I love it. So, shit, I can't pick one of these two songs. These are like <laughs> <two songs. laughs> I'll leave that um, up to you. I could do. I yeah. could keep going. There's so many. Like I said, I love sad uh, <laughs> music. So. Yeah. Well, I understand. Well, yeah. I don't know. I'm probably gonna make an exception. And just put them both on the playlist because cool. it's my podcast. I make the rules. Um, well, okay. On the other side of this coin, what's the song that puts you in a better mood? Oh yeah. This, this, I mean, there's so much here, but like, I, um, love Lindsay Buckingham, who's, uh, you know, famously Philly <laughs> <laughs> back. Um, but I think like people like to talk about all the like different phases of, you know, the Peter Green era, the like, you know, it's like, right. it's a band that's gone through a lot of um, like lineup changes, mm-hmm. but I think like we can all agree that all of the recordings that Lindsey Buckingham are on are like the most fun and like the cr- wackiest oh. and the craziest and the weirdest and like, um, yes. and but I love I I'm a really big fan of all of his solo albums, um, and those are like records if I'm like DJing out somewhere if I'm like having a party like. I can put on like go insane and people will just like lose <laughs> their shit every time. Uh-huh. So like the, I must go is like, wasn't one of the hit singles from the album, but like, it's just like, it's such, he's just a genius at around creating like hooks that are weird. Like mm-hmm. these kind of little earworms that kind of like get into you. But then when you couple that with the kind of like, early 80s production that is like right. really trademarked to those that like period of his solo stuff as well as like the Fleetwood Mac stuff that was coming out in the early 80s um like Tango in the Night was like came out right around Go Insane mm-hmm. um and you're just getting like a perfect kind of banger and I think like I love <laughs> pop music and dance music that feels like a little off a little weird you kind of get hit oh you, God, they yeah. kind of feel a little coked up you know like there's something yeah. kind of <laughs> frenzied about it there's something like it yes. feels kind of druggy and like they're just songs where like you know i think like with a band like fleetwood mac like so much of their um so much of their catalog is canon that when i hear the songs i'm almost like not moved because i'm so tired mm-hmm. of hearing them like there's some obviously mm-hmm. there's some exceptions but like i I think that like whenever I'm trying to DJ or play something out or make a cool playlist, I'm like, I don't want to play the hits. I want to like play a song by an artist that, you know, but not a song that, you know, mm-hmm. so like I must go. is just like, it's just one where you're getting amazing voice. You're getting that great, like synth sound. Um, it's just like pure eighties pop, like beautiful. Yeah. It's so it, the vocal arrangements on it and all the, it's so it's a wild. huge. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's one of those things where I, I don't know how, and, and I say this as somebody who makes a lot of weird music and stuff, but I have no idea how you come up with this. <laughs> like, it's you're Drugs, just insane. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. mean, I think that's the answer. Yeah, no, I think when you said like those like coked up eighty, that always puts you in a better mood for like 
obvious reasons. Like, I, I mean, like not being coked up. I'm not suggesting anybody <laughs> go get coked up. I mean, do what you want, but like, I feel like Fleetwood Mac <laughs> is so like a choose your fighter kind of band. Like it really tells you something yeah. about someone when you're like, who's your favorite member, like, and why? You know, like whether it's like Peter or Bob Welch, or it's like Stevie Nicks and Christina McBee just passed. Like, but she had more bluesy thing, like. And so I think like whenever somebody's like, oh yeah, Lindsay's my favorite member, like that kind of tells you a lot about like what, right. <laughs> what like because his catalog is so different in a way. Yeah, no, I love that, um, and it is an absolute banger. So <laughs> can't can't argue that. Okay, what is objectively the best song of all time? I mean, I love <laughs> having objectively right opinions about everything. <laughs> Oh, I mean, that's like probably it's like so annoying about talking about music with me is because I'm like so sure I'm right. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not to be annoying and like mention two things again, and okay. also it feels very like I picked like I, I was thinking of two songs that are both kind of like epic, you know, that are okay. kind of like epic in scope and sort of long, and uh, two of my favorite bands also. But um, I bet have you gotten anybody like that saying the Velvet Underground for this before? Like, I feel like yes. it's, it's so obvious, but like. But not this song. Oh, so. okay. <laughs> <laughs> it was a different song. Cool. <laughs> um, well, I, I I was thinking Sister Ray, which is from White Light, White Heat. And like, Sister Ray, that specific song, I think for me personally, marks, it marks this moment where like, when I was in high school and, and, and kind of like getting into Velvet Underground and like, you know, all of their like maybe more more famous songs and mm -hmm. and then really hearing Sister Ray, which to me like epitomizes like this great kind of like groovy kind of rock song at the beginning. And it's like chugging along and it's it feels like cookie and it feels like a contained and there's like, you know, mm -hmm. there's and they're so great at like writing these like two minute long like kind of right. perfect little rock mm -hmm. songs but then something amazing happens which is like the song kind of like goes off the rails and it sort of devolves and then it kind of turns into something else entirely which is like you get this kind of amazing sort of squall sound that like mm -hmm. I think you know it sort of foreshadows like all of this other music that like Lou Reed was going to make like later on that was like really abstract. And I think for me, like being in high school and like hearing that and trying to understand it, it really like blew my mind. Like it, like Velvet Underground and like Sonic Youth were like bands that like, you know, sat in this world of like commercial rock music, but then they were like bringing in all this like other abstract stuff. And mm -hmm. those were, it's such a cliche, but like the Velvet Underground was a gateway band for me too. And I think because it, I was more interested in what was going on in like the last half of that song, like once everything starts to like yeah. kind of deteriorate and sort of like degrade. And I, I think like, it's just such a perfect song because it really represents how much possibility there is in music with making music sonically. And that like one song could sort of encapsulate like, mm -hmm. you know, a, a kind of a groove, but then also like something that felt like atonal and not groovy and like something completely oppositional to that but if you're the velvet underground like those things sort of can they exist they all work together in right. synchronicity and that right 
to me that like epitomizes like what like the incredible like vast like infinite power that music can have mm-hmm. and, and what it can mm-hmm. do um so yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, i think it's i like i think sister ray is one of the greatest moments in rock and roll history so i think it's boring I, but yeah um and then uh I, I, talk talk is like one of my favorite bands of all time um i love their 80s like bangers like i think all mm-hmm. i actually have i've i'm kind of gonna go back and go through phases and but later you know i i got into talk talk being more into their like kind of art rockier kind of like froggier mm-hmm. stuff that mark hollis was doing like towards towards the end of them making albums and laughing stock is like one of my favorite albums of all time and um i think that i do i really believe that Ashley the flood is like a perfect song and mm-hmm. again like it 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 reminds me of Sister Ray in that it has the song sort of like um, degrades like towards the end as well. Like you sort of get all of this like instrumentation that sort of um, feels really like kind of like a chaos. But at the beginning, you're kind of getting his like super soulful mm-hmm. vocals and it sort of has its pulse to the song. Like there's sort of like a beat around it. And I think like, you know, watching their, following like their evolution as a band um, from kind of like writing these like 80s new wave synthy pop songs, right. like top of the pop, pops kind of like moments right. to then kind of like developing these ideas that I think were really groundbreaking around like, you know, the album and these sort of like incredible, like operatic sort of, um, pieces mm-hmm. like to me it's like i i love i love like an eight minute song you know and so right, something like course. a world that you can <laughs> kind of like sit inside mm-hmm. and like be in and there's just something so like powerful about um about that album and that song specifically yeah i feel like i love the way this it just keeps building mm-hmm. and building and it's and it never stops and it's but there's but it's I always feel like there's this sort of gentleness to it, but it's also super intense at the same time. I don't know how they he man they managed to pull that off, but um, yeah, no, it's and like every line, every lyric is like like line is a work of art. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. So and that that was another one where like just to plug YouTube again, um, <laughs> but like if you can get on YouTube and watch him perform lies um it's really astonishing and his voice is so incredible and powerful and um it's really yeah i that was another one where when he passed i was like beside myself um so yeah well you're making this like impossible normally it's easy for me to pick one of the multiple options but god damn well i think if someone (laughs) already did a velvet underground song maybe you go oh that's true Maybe so. Although <laughs> someone did a talk talk song on something else. So. Oh really? Dang. Okay, I gotta yeah. listen. <laughs> so, but they're always different songs. I was know, like, so my kids are different. <laughs> no, turns out we all uh, like the oh. same music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who knew? Um, okay. Well, completely different tangent here. So, what's a song that you used to love, but now you find it to be a little bit cringeworthy? Like, if you listen to it now, you're like, <laughs> well, you know, I actually don't really have that relationship with music i think that pretty much everything i've ever listened to i like i don't really believe in like guilty pleasures i 
believe oh, in just liking what you like. And there's not much out there that I would be like embarrassed to say that I listened to it at one point. Like even when I was like, you know, in middle school, listening to like pop punk in San Diego and going to like Warp Tour. Like, I I mean, I'm like, yeah, I was like 12. Like I right. was like, I was a 12 year old in San Diego. Like I went to a Blink-182 show, you know? I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't feel, I, I don't listen to that stuff anymore, but it's still like a part of who I am. But. Oh, I, I feel that. I do an entire podcast about the band Rancid. So I have no legs. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Rancid's but, good. Hey, hey I will. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, so one of like a a band that I like got into very, very young. And this is again, like through my parents, my mom is an artist and she would keep like her own CDs in her studio for like, Mm. you know, making art too. And she was like, she would listen to like a lot of like rip hop. You know, I I learned about like Portishead and Tricky through her and that kind of stuff. But she's into um, Pink Floyd, but she was into like the more embarrassing like division bell era pink floyd like your 80s pink floyd but pink floyd was like probably one of my earliest band obsessions i have and it was so Mm -hmm. deep that it's something that i actually like it's like i'm like i'm like it's like when you look back at younger you and you're like and you love them so much because you're just like god you just love this thing and and i love pink floyd like the first concert I ever went to by myself, um, like without parents, was mm-hmm. to see Roger Waters. Um, so I had to go to San Diego Sports Arena Amphitheater. Um, but Animals is like, I think, a very underrated album. And it was kind <laughs> of like the first Pink Floyd album that I like super super duper fell for like very hard. Like I thought it was so cool and like conceptual and it, it's like, right. it's, it's only like five tracks, but the first track and the last one are like a minute long. And then the, it's like these, it's all kind of like a riff on, on animal farm. So all the song titles are like named after it's like sheep and mm. pigs and dogs. It's like, <laughs> it's like hilarious, but I also want to like proudly own that. I was like, yeah, I'm into like that period of Pink Floyd, but that song the the pig song like when i started seeing the person that i'm with now and we were and he's a musician and we are like you know sharing each other all the like music stuff Mm -hmm. that we love and uh, we like like pretty much all the same stuff but like you know i think he's like i'm not into Prague. i'm not into pink floyd like that band no that's like not not that's corny like that's cheesy and i was like no but like listen to this and you know when you're like listen to something in your headphones or you're by yourself and you're like, this is so deep. It rules. It's like really resonating with me right now. But then you like play it out in front of other people and you're like, it's not hitting. This is like not the vibe. Like I could like see on his face that he would like, like, is this like, is this like romantic music for you? And there is something that's like, so kind of like earnest and kind of like dorky about, like a lot of those, a lot, a lot of Pink Floyd, I think. And it's, it's cool to only like, like Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd, but I want right. to like proudly stand beside my like late, like late, late, like my, you know, I have like solo David Gilmore albums. It's like so hey. embarrassing, but I, it's like, yeah. It's, so it's, it's like, I'm embarrassing about that anecdote, but like, I'm also like, yeah, I don't know. It's like, uh, yeah. it, it like, 
it, I think that's pink. That album is why I like got into talk, talk, for example, you know, like I love right. like froggy, long, epic kind of operatic things. I feel like Pink Floyd was a kind of gateway for a lot of people to stuff like that. Like I never okay. had, I never, I never really got into Pink Floyd. Like I'm kind of agnostic about it, but um, I do love that story. Like I know that feeling so well of this thing. You're like, Oh my God, this. And as soon as it's outside of your head, it's just, you're like, what have I done? Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, I'm like, it was like too soon in us dating. Like for me right. to play something so intimate with him. I was like, this is too much. <laughs> I love it. Um, okay. Well, so on the flip side of this, like what's a song that people hate? A lot of people hate whoever these people are, I, but you act, you love it. And, yeah, and like uh, I say in the thing, you can kind of make your own context for this. So Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. I think a lot <laughs> of the music I like other people hate. Well, but that's I, fair. I I when I was when you I was thinking about how like when I first started working in restaurants, um, like when you're working in a kitchen, like often there's, you know, if you're prepping and you have like a whole day of work in front of you, mm-hmm. there's always like mu- like some kitchens will like let you listen to music. And mm-hmm. I obviously like, I'm always the kind of person who like wants to be in charge of what is playing on the music. And mm-hmm. I want to be able to like control the playlist and the albums and everything. But like, I would be working in kitchens and I would put something on and people will be like, what? We cannot, like, this is so, <laughs> please turn please change this. Like, this is terrible. Um, and I, when I first moved to New York, um, I started working at this restaurant, um, these restaurants, Marlon Sons and Diner. And at the time, the pastry kitchen, or the pastry cook there, the pastry kitchen was on the second floor. And so we had our own, it was like our own ecosystem. And we had like, I brought in a little speaker and I would like play stuff, uh, play playlists. I think back then I was like playing stuff from an iPod, like, or <laughs> like, yeah, it was kind of old, yeah. long time ago. Um, but there was this one, there were all these different shifts for the pastry team. And one of the shifts was you come in at like 5.30 in the morning and you would do the bake-off for the cafe that would open at 8 a.m. And I loved that shift because you could, it was, you were alone. Like you, mm-hmm. that meant I could play whatever music I wanted and <laughs> no one else would complain. Because I was like, I don't want to listen to this like pop this like radio shitty music. Like I was like, I'd rather listen to nothing, you know, but then Mm -hmm. I would play stuff and other people would be like, this is really abrasive and horrible. Like, I don't want to listen to this either. So, you know, it's, there's an art to kind of finding stuff like, you know, like a Lindsay Buckingham, like anybody, you could put that on. My parents would like it. I like it. Like weirdos would like it. Like, you know, it's like, that's like a sweet spot. Um, But at the time I was listening to like, I mean, still, still one of my favorite, favorite bands, but like, I was listening to like a lot of like shadow ring and mm. that was like good early morning music for me, like getting in the zone. And, um, and also I said two for this, but I was listening to like a lot of kind of like eighties kind of like punk, like rudimentary peni as well. And I remember <laughs> like I was doing this bake off by myself and I was like, finally, I can listen to like all of death church and, <laughs> I can play it loud and this is what's like waking me up. It's like drinking coffee, you know? And mm-hmm. at the time, like the only other people who were there that early were the butchers down the block who like 
also got there that early to like break down stuff for the restaurants before they would open. And they would come up to the pastry kitchen to like store stuff in their, in our reach and fridges. And the head butcher at the time, this guy TJ, like, I remember him coming in as I was like listening to Rudimentary King by myself. And he was like, he was like, whoa, this is like really cool. Like, what is this? And I was like, oh my God, like somebody who's into this, like <laughs> after like all, everyone on the pastry team being like, this is horrible. So it, it's just like when, whenever yeah. I, like, I think when you're working in a restaurant, it is such a, I think I later matured a lot and realized like, I don't have to play music that is like, um, antagonizes other people that like, what's really fun is being able to like make a playlist or find mm -hmm. an album where like everyone is feeling it and it doesn't have to like alienate or like shut out other mm -hmm. people. So I've grown up since yeah. then. Yeah. My last job that, we were always on, on Friday mornings. It would, we would put on, I don't know. It was, it was a nonprofit. It was a weird place, but they let, they eventually let me have it. Like they knew kind of my background. And so they were always like, Oh, we don't know if we're going to let you choose the thing. So, um, but I put on, it was, it was a couple of years ago and it was when the last Imdu Mokhtar album came out. And I remember putting mm. that and just blowing everybody's mind. Everybody so good. Like, they're like, oh, this is the kind of stuff you listen to? What is this? <laughs> it's such a cool feeling, though, to get, like, you know, for people who you would never probably hear that and you would never expect to kind of, yeah, so. Totally. Um, yeah. Well, and then, I mean, um, and that, they did the soundtrack for the, uh, that um, Aseas show that they turned into a movie that they, um, oh, my God, why am I blinking? Um the oh, it's, it's like um, it's escaping me right now but um the like movie that he did with um maggie chung they made into like a tv show um oh i know yeah irma vep and um that's it they did the whole score to that so i feel like they've had like a resurgence oh, really? yeah like the the um oh i didn't even know theme that. song and is is the whole score is like kind of set to their music it's really good Oh, that's really cool. Okay, that makes me want to actually to like watch that. Yeah, well, I, it's also I, I amazing. His it's like he oh. remade his own movie into a TV show, and it's great. Oh, I need. There's like a number of things that are apparently on HBO right now that I need to see, so I need to do like a free trial and, <laughs> and cancel it. Um, <clears throat> awesome. Well, I love. Yeah, I don't. Again, I love both of those songs. Like, I totally. Yeah, I know. I know that feeling though of putting stuff on and people just. Get, just getting that look of like what in the fuck <laughs> yeah yeah because i'm like you know life. like what get, what revs me up and and gives me energy to get through my shift is like not the same as it is for other people and i think like that's something that's kind of like the arrogance of being young too is where yes. you're like no one understands like you just don't <laughs> you're you're like uh philistine like you don't understand like what makes this so good but i'm like I'm in a work environment. Like we should all be like yeah. enjoying something together. So, Right. Yeah. I will say that like the thing, like my sort of go-to when I need to just like get stuff done and get is like operation Ivy. And I've oh, gotten so God. many people into operation. I'll put it on people like, Oh, this is kind of awesome. I'm like, yeah, no, this is one of the greatest things ever made. Anyway. And that must come up in your uh, ransom podcast a lot. Yeah, oh, it, it does. That's <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> amazing was that big okay. in growing up in tulsa 
Uh, it was big for me, like West Coast. It, yeah, my sort of trajectory. It was like Nirvana was the thing. It was I was in sixth grade when Nevermind came out, so it all aligned kind of perfectly. And from Nirvana, I got into like Sonic Youth, but also <laughs> like Sub Pop, which led to like Kill Rock Stars and K Records, and then Lookout, and then all. So got it. Um, wow. So yeah. Sub Pop before getting into Lookout. Like I think for me growing up in Southern California where it's like right. skate and surf culture, pop punk is like the yeah de facto thing. So it's like, you know, you're hearing like Rancid and Op Ivy and stuff like that before. Like I was hearing like, Black Flag from being on skate videos without right. knowing what Black Flag was, but then learning about SST and then from SST figuring out what Sonic Youth was. Like it kind of like, I had to yeah. yeah. Yeah, like for me it was a lot of um like Bikini Kill was a big one. Um and there was I like I read some book about Nirvana when I was in sixth grade and it talked about Toby Vale and I was like who and then but although it does all go back to like skate culture because Thrasher magazine had there was some record store and they had catalogs in it. And I remember ordering I got my dad to write a check for like it was like thirty bucks or something, and got like four records. And I just remember seeing Kill Rock Stars. That's the coolest sound. And fuck yeah. Let's. Yeah. And it literally changed my life. <laughs> Amazing. We, pro- we probably wouldn't be talking about any of this right now if it wasn't for that. So. For sure. Um, well, okay. Now, totally different thing here. What What is the most romantic song? Are you, a, do you consider yourself a romantic? Um. I mean, when it comes to music, yes, definitely. Like, I think I'm, I'm very cliche, like, you know, straight lady um, in that I love, like, I love, like, a crooner, you know? Like, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, grow, like, I love, like, Roy, anything that's, like, sort of redolent of Roy Orbison. Like, I love, like, a crooner. Uh, like, I think that's really romantic yeah. and kind of, like, cool. Um, so I think, like, for me... Um, so of course, like Chris Isaac feels like kind of a, a cliche, but I also want to like urge listeners to really in- consider and investigate his whole catalog, not just like mm-hmm. the hits or the songs that you know, because he has made some really incredibly beautiful albums. Like I love Heart Shaped World is so good. San Francisco Days is so good. Like all of this and he just got this like incredible voice that sort of like when I got into him oh after being into Roy Orbison just felt like a very lateral kind of yeah. move um but I think like the song that I was thinking of I mean god there's so many but can't do a thing from I think that's the, on San Francisco days um it's just like it's maybe to other people it's corny but to me it's like it's like perfect headphone music it's like so good it's definitely kind of gets you in the mood so um, mm-hmm. Also, like another great crooner, like Brian Ferry. Like I, mm. like you know, I love rocks and music. I love, but I also really love like all of his solo stuff. And uh, mm-hmm. Boys and Girls is like one of my favorite records. And he is just also an incredible singer. And I think he kind of is somebody who oozes sexuality and sort of mm-hmm. like confidence in like a more like artier way um less commercial way so like that to me is awesome too so very like predictable yeah. <laughs> answer but like you know oh, i love the chris isaac answer because i agree that 
uh, I think people sort of have him pigeonholed as one thing because I mean, and I get it. Like you know, that's ever like Wicked Game is everywhere and has been everywhere for the last thirty years. Um, which understandably, it's a great fucking song. I, but that's one of my karaoke <laughs> go-to songs. That should be one of your questions. Oh, What's your go-to yeah. karaoke song? Oh well, I'm. Uh, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> Off air, don't want to uh, give away my secrets. Um, anyway, like yeah, but I think I think Chris Isaac is incredible too. I'm 100 percent with you. I think that he is like you know I don't know like when I think about like underrated artists, overrated art. I don't really think about that that much. But like he is genuinely super underrated because people just don't know. People thought he was like kind of a cheese ball, but I'm like his yeah. albums are like legitimately amazing. Like I, yeah, I think. Um, I think people should definitely like uh, give him give him a chance. Um, totally. But like, and like, I love Brian Ferry too. But uh, Chris Isaac's the pick. <laughs> yeah, like Silvertone. I think that's his first. That was like oh the first gosh. one I really got into. Where, um, it, I mean, that record came out in like I don't know the eighties. Came out in the eighties. Yeah, but like Silvertone is so. It was like you know. I think a lot of people can get into an artist when they like, maybe they hear one hit, but then they like go backwards and they hear like the entire discography. And I'm like, this mm-hmm. album is so underrated. Like people aren't talking about Silverton. So. I also feel like he's ageless. I'm just looking at, he's like almost 70 years old and he just. What? I know. Like, Don't, how dare you tell me stuff like that? <laughs> Good genes, man. <laughs> Um, no, I love, I, yeah, I can't argue with that. And I hope everybody listening will go listen to some Chris Isaac. Um, okay. What is a song that changed your perspective on an artist, whether good or bad? Cause I always thought of this as like, what made you think of someone more positively, but I had someone answer this in the other way, which I never considered and thought that was really interesting too. So, oh, but. cool. Well, I'm definitely thinking of it <laughs> your way then, because okay. <laughs> I, um, I, Scott Walker is one of my favorite musicians of all time, for sure. But I think, like, because he's recorded so few albums, it took mm-hmm. me a long time to get into his solo stuff. Um, I, I think, like, honestly, I think I just, like, didn't really know about it. Like, but yeah. growing up, or growing up, but, like, being into music in, like, college or high school, knowing the Walker brothers, like, I think now, I mean... Now I I love the Walker Brothers. Like I have a whole appreciation around that. But I think Mm -hmm. like when I was in college and I didn't really know about his work as a solo artist, I kind of heard the Walker Brothers, you know, the sort of like chamber pop kind of like British. Well, they're not British, but like, you know, it had this (laughs) kind of like 60s, like um, sort of pop around it. It was like not super my thing. But then mm-hmm. I started getting into his solo stuff the year that um, The Drift came out, which is like, mm. uh, I was in college. I think I was like a senior. I either just graduated from college or I was like a senior or something like that. And it was just such a big deal at the time. Like right. he was on the cover of Wire, like around that album. And I was like, oh my gosh, he has like solo. So when that album <laughs> came out, I kind of like went, backwards and and listen to the other two albums he made like one from the 90s tilt and then um the one that came out in the 80s um which is like one of my 
favorite albums. Um, I just love that sound of like his, that like distinctive, huge, deep mm-hmm. voice, like sonorous voice. But then it's kind of like 80s style production where there's like kind of these like great synth sounds and they're sort mm-hmm. of like kind of, it's kind of like creepy, but uh, kind of Hunters, the album. Yeah. Um, but like, there's a couple like music videos around that that are like kind of noir and sort of weird. So I think like when I heard th- that album, like I think like track three is like the banger. It's kind of like mm-hmm. a really kind of kind of like a creepy, synthy, fast like rhythmic song. Um, I was like, oh my gosh, like wh- where have I been? Like, like who? Like who is this? Like person like what is this enigma like what is how do I reconcile like all this music with the stuff that I thought that he was a part of with <laughs> right. Walker Brothers so that was like a really fun thing for me to like investigate and and sort of like get into yeah I yeah I Scott Walker is one of my favorites of all time too and Climber to the Hunter I feel like is such an interesting album because it to me it's like the bridge between like I mean Scott one like one two three four get progressively weirder and I yeah thinks like scott three is a utterly perfect record but i feel like climbing to the hunter is where it started to turn like he was like okay i'm gonna now really just lean into my weirdness even more and then because then obviously then it gets you know we get into like slapping meat and stuff and all the really crazy (laughs) did you see that documentary where they show you yeah it's amazing (laughs) i was like oh it's no it's literally it's literally (laughs) yeah the cow yeah yeah unbelievable but yeah this song this is so good and and i also i didn't even realize this until i was kind of looking up preparing for this that billy ocean does the vocal harmonies on this song what oh my i love billy ocean <laughs> i know billy ocean is great i was like god i was Perfect. like man scott walker made a record with son he should have made a record with billy ocean All right <laughs> oh i co-signed that yeah yeah <sighs> so awesome yeah no that, i uh, Scott Walker. Yeah. One of the best. Yeah. Okay. Well, a Scott Walker song could probably have been the answer to this next question because he writes amazing lyrics. But mm-hmm. what are your favorite lyrics, whether it's a whole song or just like a line from a song? Yeah. This is a great question. I actually like, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not like, I think when I'm like thinking about music that I love, like I'm almost listening to the lyrics like last, like I'm kind of like, mm-hmm. I'm like sort of least interested in, in, in that. <laughs> um, but, you know, like to go back to like, you know, we we're talking about um, John Martin and stuff like that. Like I love kind of um, the traditions and formality around like, english folk songwriting and like ballads mm. like there's like a very like kind of corny part of me that loves that like very like old-timey approach to like storytelling through music and mm-hmm. i love richard thompson um <laughs> i love the stuff they did with linda thompson i love all the solo stuff I'm super prolific um i think that like you know i think he's known for being like an insane guitar player but he um, is an incredible like lyricist, I think. And yeah. one of his like more famous songs that is like a little short story. And I think it's it's one where I'm like, because the it, the the instrumentation is so simple, it's just like a kind of a complicated like acoustic guitar sort of finger 
nitpicking thing he's doing, you can really like it reminds you of this uh, great like English tradition of telling stories through Mm -hmm. music and um, listening and following along in that story. So the 1952 Vincent Black Lightning, which is like the year and make of this like motorcycle. And he writes like this whole song around (laughs) um, this kind of like daredevil who like lives really hard (laughs) and then he like dies in war, but he like gives the motorcycle to his like lover. And it's just like, it's like, I think, you know, you you can hear what he's saying. You're following along. It's a beautiful story. It's, like, very moving. Mm-hmm. Um, the instrumentation is, like, incredible. And he's just got such a great, like, voice. It's, like, so witty, but it's, like, full of feeling. And, you know, he's such a storyteller. And I think, like, I love, like, the literal, like, the literal storytelling that's, like, going right. on in the song. Um, it's, it's, it's just it's a great one. Yeah, I always feel his guitar playing, well, his guitar playing in general, but like on this song blows my mind. Like, I don't understand how one person is doing that. It's and, nuts. Again, you can and, watch him and it's like, right. it still doesn't and make it, sense. Right. And then, and then to be able to like do the, all the, like the singing and the song, the story at the same time, it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like the height of solo singer songwriter music and like, totally everything. yeah and I, I, I like <laughs> i like like really sincere stuff like that too and i think it's like Same. not that cool necessarily but like there's just something about that earnestness and the like depth of feeling around all of that that i that i really that i really love that i feel very like nostalgic around yeah oh i another thing i talk about a lot i talk about this a lot of my ransom podcast is how earnestness scares people and i've I love earnestness. It like like don't be earnest all the time because then it's like Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> too much. But like those moments of because I talk I talk about this a lot in like the best moments of Rancid or when like Tim Armstrong is being super earnest about something yeah. and like hard on his sleeve. Um. Anyway. Yeah. I totally. am. I'm right there with you. And yeah, Richard Thompson. I don't know. Like I, I don't know a ton of Richard Thompson. Like I know some of his stuff, but this song has always been just sort of. Yeah, it's iconic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what is the last song that you completely fell in love with? Oh, okay. Um, I love the, I don't know if you've heard it yet, but I love the new Blonde Redhead album. I think it's like mm-hmm. really beautiful. And uh, it's called um, like a seat at the table or um, sit down for dinner. It's called sit down for dinner. Um, And I saw them play at, they live at, they all live in New York. So I like to see them around a lot. And I saw them play mm. Babies All Right. It's like venue in Williamsburg. Um, that was like really little. So it was special to see them in like such a small venue. And that was a band I thought in high school. Like when <laughs> I, like I remember seeing them play in venues in San Diego when I was in high school, being, loving oh, them wow. in college. Um, and then maybe it kind of like falling off a bit because like, they didn't really put out as many records like in the last, you know, decade or so. Right. Um, but the new record is like really pretty. It's so good. It's, and they played the new single when they played the new single um, at the show, No Man, they played it faster than it is on the album. Like it's, it was mm. like a faster version, mm-hmm. but I was like, oh my God, this song is so good. It's such an earworm. Yeah. It was like as soon, and that was before they released any of the stuff 
for streaming, like before it was on Spotify or anything like that. So mm-hmm. like I had no way of listening to it again because the album wasn't <laughs> out yet. But now the album is out and it, the whole thing is incredible. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And like, it's just awesome to see them like, you know, doing so much press, like getting so much love. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but like they last year or maybe the year, it was last year, they uh, famously to me went on tour with, were asked to go on tour with Tool, which I thought was hilarious. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, because I, I guess uh, James Maynard Keenan or whatever was, mm-hmm. he curated all of the opening acts for that tour. And he specifically wanted to bring in stuff that he personally liked that was like very different than Tool. So they were yeah. playing like giant Huge. arenas, stadiums, yeah. like massive shows. And like they're the, t- the live tool shows are, I guess, like there's a lot of like pyrotechnics and there's mm-hmm. a lot of like, you know, <laughs> stage stuff that happens. And, right. and I think like, but uh, apparently like the tour went really well. And like, you know, they were exposed to like a lot of you know new fans like as a result of doing that which i think is like amazing um but yeah i think i think the new things are going they're on tour right now um for the album and it's just it's just awesome it's like it it sounds great live and i think like the albums are always recorded really well and i'm Mm -hmm. I'm a fan yeah yeah it's no it's i really like the album and i love this song i i was watching uh it's like an instagram video maybe where Amadeo talks about, he's like, oh, we want to write something that was really harmonically simple, which I don't think this song is harmonically simple, really. Yeah. But I see, and he's like, but it's really rhythmically interesting. And I was, that part, it is like, cause it's, you can really hear like the Brazilian influences and stuff. Yeah. In it, and it's yeah. just, I feel like, I really like this whole album, but this song, especially, it makes me just feel like I'm floating or something. It's, it's awesome. Just, it's so it's good. So and, good. and I think like, because there's kind of like a food, theme with the album like a lot of the dates mm-hmm. they're doing are uh, like they did a date in um in new york at uh pioneer works in brooklyn this like music venue where there was like mm-hmm. a seated dinner before there was oh, like a wow. chef had like done this like whole it's like to sit down at the dinner table with with blonde redhead and i just thought that was really cool so that's yeah. really cool mm-hmm. i'm all for stuff like that uh, yeah awesome okay well what is a cover song that is better than the original Okay, so I mean, like, I love, this is such a great thing to think about. And there are so many, like, things that I think popped into my mind immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one that I kind of kept going back to was, um, I think you know that the cover is better than the original when you don't even really know that it's a cover because the uh-huh. cover is so iconic and, like, <laughs> strong on its own. Um, so, like, I mean, no offense to uh, Jennifer Rush, but the Celine Dion version of Power of Love is like one of the best song, best pop ballads ever. Oh. Um, and it's just like... It, I didn't know this was a cover, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, um, and there's a lot of, you know, stuff from like... Uh, you know, the nineties with those like kind of pop divas that came out that oh. like, you don't even really realize that they're like, were covers or not, mm-hmm. you know, the, not the original or whatever. But um, I think that's a great example. I love more. I love Celine Dion. I said Mariah Carey. I love yeah. Celine Dion. I love Mariah Carey too, but I love Celine Dion. Yeah. And 
I just, I've been thinking about her a lot because I feel like she's going through some some health oh, stuff man. right now, and um, it makes me feel like I'll never. She probably won't play perform again, right. um, and that makes me sad that I've never had a chance to see her perform live. But I think like it the the song is so perfectly suited to her incredible mm-hmm. like the strength of her voice and her range and like the way she is just like our consonant belter and i think like this the power in her voice is like perfectly suited to this kind of song specifically and it's just one of those like cathartic oh. let it all out like you know feeling your feelings kind of yeah. iconic songs and it's it's yeah i just love it oh i'm yeah i'm i'm like such a sucker for the yeah like celine dion and mariah carey and whitney houston and like yeah i i will i there's just i'm just in awe whenever i listen to the them sing and yeah this song, yeah i i god i don't know i didn't realize she I just i think the cover and she's well she just has such a singular style personality mm-hmm. presence that like even when she's not writing the song herself like you feel how she can inhabit like yeah. the, the songs in her own way and really like make it hers and i think that's that's like what sets her apart from like so many so many other people and right. um but like i i remember growing up with the power of love the original one like on the radio and knowing knowing the original but mm. then when the cover came out being like oh wow this is like another <laughs> in level of intensity right yeah yeah i yeah i always like that when there's a cover song it's like nope this belongs to the person covering it now yeah um, sorry it's like yeah. it's like well the first thing i thought of was like oh is that uh nico song that is the famously like a jackson brown cover you know oh yeah and i'm like yeah oh. there's I'm like, oh, this song doesn't belong to him anymore. <laughs> There's a couple, like, um, I think another one that, yeah, I think one, another one I think about a lot is Black is the Color of My True Love's Hair, like the Patty Waters version. I oh, yeah, like exactly. I, it, again, like people, I've, and I actually, I heard another version recently that was really good, but I was just like, God, I can't even, I can't even imagine, like, now in this day and age that knowing that version exists, even trying. Right. I, I I admire people who do. So totally. Um okay, well we're in the home stretch. The two big questions left, at least I think of them as the two big questions. Um so first, what is the song that means the most to you? And it's not necessarily because of the song itself, but you associate it with something or someone or an experience. Oh, um let me see. Um I mean, it's like, I'm just like thinking about everything that we were talking about. Like, it almost feels like anything that we've talked about already, like, could be that (laughs) for me, you know, like, I think like, I'm going to think about, you know, even something like, do I listen to that Pink Floyd album that much anymore? Like, no, but when I think about like, I think that kind of sense of like, discovery around music or the way that you can feel like music belongs to you like in a way that no other disciplines can like kind of feel that way um and that was like you know I think any of those moments that you have with those songs like kind of can feel like the most Mm -hmm. powerful thing that you've ever that you've ever heard so 
yeah i mean <laughs> that's fair yeah that's fair see this is good though if you don't you pick any of those songs that gives me a chance to put two of your picks for the ones i can't pick <laughs> on the playlist so yeah. i will absolutely take it okay well with that said what at least at this moment in your life at this moment in time what is your favorite song Oh, at this moment in my life. Um, I, or of all time. I don't know. You know, however you want to, however you want to answer. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I am like loving the, um, I'm loving, I, I feel like all my kids are like so retro and really like giving away my, my age, but <laughs> I, I'm really loving the new PJ Harvey album. I don't know if you've um, heard it at all, yeah. but like, mm-hmm. I think that she's like gone there's been like, there was like a beautiful profile about her in the New Yorker recently and people are like diving into her work. And I also love, like, she's kind of like, like her and people like Kate Bush, like Brit, you know, English people kind of like live in their little hamlet in like the English countryside. They don't travel very mm-hmm. much. They don't get out very much. Like I was just reading like Kate Bush was, uh, I mean, whatever the fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is like, fuck that institution completely. But right. Kate Bush is like being inducted this year, like for, you know, f- like finally, you know, like the, whatever. The coolest thing about that though, because I think it have is that Big Boy from Outcast did the induction speech. Cause like Big Boy is the biggest Kate Bush fan in the world. Oh my God, it's, I love that. I love I this love music so, too. Yeah. Oh, I know. It was so it was so sweet. Like I saw something about it. It was so sweet. And he's talked about like meeting her and how what like like fanboying out about Kate Bush. I'm like, oh my God. Oh that rules. Wow, anyway. he's so lucky. Yeah. Um <laughs> but like I I you know, I think like her and and PJ Harvey are like kind of famous. I mean PJ Harvey tours. She's touring Europe for the new album and I I hope she comes to oh my gosh. The yeah. US, but I don't know. I've never seen her play live. But the whole new album is like amazing it's so good it's super beautiful um i'm just loving the whole thing um there's some like kind of bangers on it like let me see the the child's question um song is is amazing uh, the august one is so good i mean they're all the whole album is great but um mm-hmm. that's probably like an album i'm really loving right now um yeah but like yeah kate bush of all time of course like i yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, Kate Bush is. I've talked. Kate Bush has come up a couple times, and I, I, I think t- I was saying this. Um, it's actually the episode that comes out next week, but we were talking about that when there are certain moments in your life, in your creative life, especially, and it's like I don't know what I should do here. It's like, well, ask what would Kate Bush do, and like you'd probably get a pretty satisfactory answer because i yeah. just and there's think a good there's a good like pink floyd connection there too so that that yeah. always helps me justify my like love of david gilmore where i'm like he helped he played yeah. on the first kate bush record yeah i the song you had on your playlist was a choral room which that song is one of the oh my god like talk about a song that always makes me cry yeah that album, oh, I love oh, that album. Like that oh, came out, I think also 2006, 2007. And yeah. it was after having been so like ardently, like passionately about like her older stuff, you know, um, mm-hmm. like to hear like a newer recording from her as like a older woman, like it just felt mm-hmm. like so powerful and deep and amazing. And I, I remember it was like a double 
CD. Mm-hmm. I, um, yeah. I had like the CD. Yeah. Uh, well, Kate Bush is a perfect place to end it because Kate Bush is one of the greatest. Absolutely. Um, okay. So your book, More Than Cake, is out now. What else do you have coming up in the next couple months that people should know about? If um, yeah, I mean, check out the book. Like, um, you, I'm on Instagram. It's my name. Um, I'm usually like posting about like stuff, like events I'm doing, tours. Like, I'll drop recipes, talk about stuff I'm working on. Um, but yeah, just like being able to kind of sh- if people, you know, check the book out from the library, like borrow it from a friend, mm-hmm. like we'll check it out at the bookstore. It's just like, it means so much to me to have people like engage with the book. So, um, yeah, I'm just grateful. Everybody definitely should check it out and follow you on Instagram. Cause yours, you have one of the, my favorite Instagram. <laughs> it's like, it's like all these whimsical, like, like food and stuff. And then your cat who I don't <laughs> remember your, my daughter loves your cat. Martini. Yeah. Martini. There you go. And your parent, is it your parents cat hummus? That's right. (laughs) Yeah. We were, we were sitting, I take, I drop her off at school every day and we were sitting in there and I was, so I was telling her I was doing this interview today because she likes your book and she's like, Oh, cool. And I was like, Oh, let me show you this picture of her with with cat. Yeah. (laughs) We're cat, big cat people around here. (laughs) Yeah. Same. So, well, thank you so much for doing this. This was, thank you so much. So fun. So much fun. Awesome. Thank you again, times a million, to Natasha Pickowicz for taking the time out of her very busy schedule and recipe testing and all of those things to sit and talk to me about songs and music. And it was, yeah, what a great time. What an awesome person. Please check out More Than Cake. Uh, Follow her on Instagram. She has, like, the best Instagram account. It's so much fun. Lots of amazing food and uh, cats. Her cat, Martini. So, um, yeah, great stuff. Thank you all for listening. Of course, as always, you should check out the playlist of Natasha's songs. Link is in the show notes. Sign up for the Foxy Digitalis Patreon. Patreon.com slash Foxy Digitalis. Five bucks a month, you get these episodes a week early. You get an extra Patreon exclusive section, which tends to get really fun and a little bit wild. (laughs) And yeah, there's lots of other stuff over there. It helps keep this going, keeps the site going and evolving. You know, one of the things really hoping in 2024 is that can kind of beef the Patreon up and, you know, just be bringing a little extra money to afford to hire an engineer to help with these episodes. And um, because I spend way too much time doing that. And there are other things like I want to do to cover music and talk to people. So anyway, think about it. Patreon.com slash Foxy's Holler at me on Instagram, Twitter, Blue Sky, Mastodon. Send me an email. Send me a voicemail. I don't know. Send out good vibes into the world and maybe I will catch them. Or something like that. And hey, go bake something. That's definitely a thing you should do this weekend. And in the meantime, or while you're doing it, be sure to listen to whatever the hell you want. <laughs> <laughs>